The book Truth, Lies and Alibis, a Winnie Mandela story. It was written by veteran journalist Fred Bridgeland. He's in studio with us. That book has just recently hit the shelves, but it's been waking, making waves in the media space, not just for its content, but rather for the use of quotes from authors that the publishers seemingly dressed up as endorsements. Now, quote lines were pulled out from other texts that really Tlabi, Sison Kim Simang, Palesa Mohudu and uh, Aubrey Machiki had written, causing the women mentioned extreme distress. And uh, Tlabi herself has expressed her outrage in a letter to the publisher. They've now opted to apologize, to pull the book from the shelves and to actually redo the jackets. So we decided to have a conversation with the author uh, about the book, about some of the choices around it. And that's why we've brought in the sales and manager for NB Publishers, Nikki Stubbs, and uh, the Toffelberg uh, imprint is uh, it falls under the uh, the NB brand. And uh, we, we thought we would also a little bit later on, just for a bit of specificity around the story, bring in the, uh, one of the issues that is mentioned a little bit later on in the book, and that has to do with the killing of Lolo Sono. And uh, we're going to perhaps speak to Madeleine Fullard from the uh, national, uh, the NPA Missing Persons Unit on that story in particular. So I'm going to start off the conversation with uh, Fred Bridgeland, the author right now who's in studio with us. Fred, good evening to you. And uh, I believe you just uh, arrived in the country a, a day or so ago. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, I, of course, made the silly assumption when I picked up your book that your publishers had obtained permission from the individuals they quoted before going to print with the book. Did you have any idea they were planning to do this? Well, I knew they were using quotes, but yes. they hadn't consulted me about the quotes and I didn't realize they hadn't asked for permission. If they had consulted me and said, look, we're going to use these quotes without permission, I would have vetoed it. Do you feel a bit like they've thrown you under the bus? No, because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. But to some extent, yes. But, I mean, they've, they've been very, very good to me generally. Um, I think this is a bad er error. Mm -hmm. um, they they are apologizing, and although this had nothing to do with me, I will write um, letters to each of the in three of the individuals concerned and make my personal apology to them. All right. So so let's bring into the conversation Nikki Stubbs, the sales and uh, sales manager for NB. Nikki, good evening to you, and thank you very much for joining us on the line this evening. Whose idea was it to use these quote lines uh, from from various different texts that that were not written specifically in relation to Fred's book? They were. Um uh, the idea uh, it came from an editor, sort of an editorial imperative, which is not unusual. Um, but in Reedy's brilliantly articulated outrage, she pointed out that in every other instance, when she's been asked to either give a shout or if we could use a shout, um, she's been consulted. Mm. So it is regular practice um, to get a shout from somebody else in or out of context, um, but it is irregular practice to uh, quote something without asking somebody their permission. Well, why did you do it? And, and then you can, you, can quite, you can go ahead and do it legally, but it's not the right thing to do. Well, why did you do the wrong thing, knowing that it was the wrong thing to do? Um, the, the intention wasn't to do the wrong thing. The intention really genuinely was to give the idea that this wasn't an attack on Winnie Mandela, that this was one of her stories. As, as the subtitle is called, it's a Winnie Mandela story. So this is just part of um, this extraordinary woman. Some of her life was a great tragedy. 
and still be supply incident probably um, the most tragic of all of that. Um, so it was to in an effort to give a bigger picture of Winnie Mandela, but in hindsight, which is never good enough. It was a terrible mistake. It has caused great distress um, and justifiably and understandably um, it is inexcusable. There is no way we can um, undo what's been done wrong. And it's not only to the, the journalists and writers involved, um, whose names are on the back of the book, but it's also to Fred Bridgeland, who has meticulously researched and written an excellent, excellent book, um, which has now been undermined by our back cover. So... Um, there isn't really any way that we can apologize enough or make amends enough, but we're doing everything in our power to bring the, back, the book back onto the shelves in the way that it should have been presented right at the beginning. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions, Nikki, about some statements that you've made. I mean, you, you've come out saying it's not unusual for publishers to go about pu- pu- putting quote lines on a particular book, uh, you know, not, not that are not necessarily directly relevant to the book itself or directly related to the book itself uh, after people have, have read it. But we know how this works usually. Uh, my understanding is that publishers or the author uh, himself goes out, he, he approaches particular people, people who may be high profile he says i'd like you to read my book please and if you're happy with the content to please make a positive comment about it and give me an endorsement i can't think of a book in recent times that has relied on quote lines from various other publications because either you have been too lazy to do the legwork and go and find the people who were meant to endorse it or because you were afraid you wouldn't get endorsements given the sensitive nature of the subject yeah, um, no, that, that's not entirely true, and this is honestly not an excuse. But um, I think you could walk into any bookstore and pick up every second book would either have quotes from previous titles or taken from other articles. If it's nonfiction, you can easily pick up a book and find um, quotes, you know, about, um, say, a personality, if it's a memoir or an historical um, record um, by that same author but on another topic where they have referenced that person's extraordinary storytelling um, powers or whatever it is. And it's got nothing to do with laziness um, or trying to be sneaky. In our case, though... um, it was a terrible, terrible mistake. I, I, I hear you saying that it's a terrible mistake, Nikki, but I, I want to know why you did it. Because uh, it seems to me, if, as you say, it wasn't laziness, it seems to me you were worried that if you gave this text to anyone who's high profile, anyone like Reedy Clubby or Palesa or, or Aubrey, any of the individuals whose, whose quote lines you chose to use, that, that they would simply have refused to endorse this book given the, the nature of uh, of the Winnie Madigizela Mandela story and how we are digesting it as South Africans now. Hmm. I can absolutely understand that. That's how you see it, and I um, can see that that's why Reedy and Tisonke have responded as they have. Um, unfortunately, we. I, I mean. That was not our intention. But what was your um, intention? Can you tell me what your intention actually I, I, was, yeah, please? 
our intention, as I said at the beginning, was to give a picture of the whole woman so that um, Fred's introduction is extremely good. And extremely I, I'm not talking thorough. about does, what Fred has written right now. I'm talking about your choice to use the quote yeah. lines of people whose permission you didn't get. What made you decide to go that part, route? Part of, part of what I'm about to explain to you is, is the answer. Fred's introduction gives a, a well-rounded picture of the whole woman involved. And the tragedy that of that was Winnie Madikizela Mandela. So, by using those quotes on the back, we were trying to show, or our intention was, that there was a bigger story to tell here. Uh, let me bring you back into the conversation, Fred. Uh, how do you feel about this? I mean, we're listening to your publisher give sort of half a reason for for why they went about doing it this way. Do do you think? that the fear was that if this book was given to, to, to various high-profile people to endorse in the wake of, of Winnie Madagizela Mandela's death, which has been so recent and which is still so raw in the hearts of so many South Africans, do you think that people would have been disinclined to agree to, to comment on the book or to endorse it? Well, I, first of all, I'm distressed that this was done. Um, but secondly, I think um, if the book had been sent to enough people, there would have been endorsements of the book. I, f- I think it's a very wide-ranging book, mm-hmm. and um, it's an investigation into what has gone on over a long period of time. It's well, re- I'd claim it's well researched and we- and w- well re- sourced, and um, I, I simply believe that the, it would have been possible to get some quotes from other people. And I, I, know, I know of black writers mm-hmm. um, who have given reviews already, which are very favorable to the book. Um, they should perhaps have been approached. So, so how do you read Nikki's excuse for not doing what, what the publishers should have done? Does it satisfy you as a writer? Um, you're putting me in a very difficult position because... I, I think your publishers have put you in a very difficult I, position. In fact, if I were you, I'd probably never write for them again, but that's just me. Okay, okay. I'm in a very difficult position because they have treated me well. Um, have they not discredited you by what they've done? I don't think they've discredited me at all. Um, I, 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 haven't, I haven't done anything um, to be discredited. I mean, it has drawn one particularly... Um, unpleasant remark um, from one of the authors and um, to that extent I, I am very hurt yes but, but but in terms of how how your your publishers see this in, in terms of, of the way they justify what they have done are you satisfied with the explanation they give you not not entirely no um, um, but um, I can see that I can see they're struggling I think I think they've I think someone has made a genuine error and um, th- there's not much they can do other than apologize. Um, you know, one, once you've made a big error like this, you can, you can only say, mea culpa, I'm sorry. What, what, what can you do? You can't turn the clock back in time. Indeed. We're going to continue having this conversation with the both of you, and I'm going to ask you to just please indulge us while we get through our news bulletin and uh, and our business bulletin as well. Thank you so much for coming into studio. We're having a conversation right now with Fred Bridgeland, the author of the new Winnie Madagizela Mandela book, Truth, Lies and Alibis. And uh, Nikki Stubbs, his sales manager for NB Publishers, is on the line to us. Thank you very much, uh, both of you, for staying with us. Right, so we're continuing our conversation at this hour. 
hour with uh, author Fred Bridgeland, who joins us. He is uh, the author of Truth, Lies and Alibis, a Winnie Mandela story. And uh, on the line to us is Nikki Stubbs. She's the sales manager for NG Publishers. Joining us in just a short while will be Madeleine Fullard from the National Prosecuting Authority's Missing Persons Unit. Uh, Fred, once again, thank you very much for staying on. Uh, I want to just move ahead because it's important to cover some of your content in this book. And uh, you speak about one of the uh, one of the, the most important cases perhaps mentioned in this book. It says, I discovered in December 2012 that a vital missing police docket from November 1988 had lain untouched for nearly a quarter century on a dusty shelf in the archives of the National Prosecuting Authority. You go on to detail that it involved uh, Lolo Sono and uh, Sibonise Shabalala, uh, Sibonise Shabalala rather, and you go on to say on the next page, now with the revelation of the location of the missing docket, NPA senior officials first reaction was to appear to move to protect the reputation of the ruling ANC, which was about to hold a controversial five-yearly electoral congress in the wake of the massacre of striking miners by police at the Maracana Platinum Mine. How did you come about upon that version? I had a deep throat source close to the NPA mm-hmm. who briefed me on the discovery of this docket sitting on a dusty shelf at the back of the NPA offices mm-hmm. and obviously I can't reveal that source. Yes, naturally. Uh, did you did you give the NPA right of reply on this issue? Yes, I did. Yes. Who did you speak to there? I cannot, this is a good question. At uh, this moment, I can't remember who I spoke to. All right. Because you see, the NPA is actually disputing your version of events in, in that regard. And Madeleine Fullard from the Missing Persons Unit joins us right now. Madeleine, good evening to you. Uh, why, why are you disputing Fred's version? What exactly about it is, do you believe is incorrect? Um, yeah, it's a pity that um, no inquiries seem to be made to the NPA about that version because uh, it really detracts from the veracity of uh, Mr. Bridgman's book because the, the 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 account of what happened is is totally different to what he presents there. Um, what happened is that the missing business task team was working for uh, several years on the Sona and Shabalala disappearance, and um, one of our forensic anthropologists was working through the Soweto, the Dipkoff mortuary registers. Um, in 2012 and noticed that two unidentified bodies came into, were found stabbed to death in a field uh, in Soweto around the time of Sono and Shabalala's disappearance. Um, But their ages were estimated as 30 and 32, which was quite a bit older than Lolo and Siboniso. Um, But we decided to look into uh, these two uh, unidentified individuals and we retrieved the post-mortems these two, and we noticed that one of them referred to having bruising on his face prior to his death, which matched the account of Nicodemus Sono's uh, encounter with his son prior to his disappearance. Uh, we then decided to search for the murder dockets related to these two unidentified individuals. Where, where did you find those murder dockets? Well, we went to the Orlando police station, um, and the, all the old dockets were in shipping containers stored at the outside of the Orlando police station. We assembled a huge team of people and we worked for days in the boiling sun, working through 10,000 dockets, tens of thousands of dockets, and eventually we recovered these two dockets for these two unidentified individuals. Fortunately, inside were photographs of the bodies at the mortuary. Um, and we took those two photographs to the families and they were able to say, yes, those are in fact Lolo and Sidoniso. 
And these were new dockets. This was an, an entirely new investigation. These dockets had never been in the possession of either the police, the TRC, or the, or the NPA. Well, they'd been in the possession of the police, but they had never been linked to the Sona or Shabalala disappearances. Um, possibly because of the age estimations of the deceased. All right. So this was an entirely new investigation done by ourselves. So they had never been sitting in the possession of the NPA for 25 years on a dusty shelf, not at all. Uh, can I just ask the you? The police station. All right. So it was an entirely new uh, thing. We, and from there, we had to start trying to locate the whereabouts of the bodies, uh, which was a complicated process because they were pauper graves, unmarked pauper graves, in um, in a cemetery in Soweto, and that was quite a lengthy process as well. Um, and I think uh, Mr. Bridgman imputes various malicious uh, motives to that process, which uh, is rather sort of gobsmacking to me, because we were doing our best to bring this to the public notice. And in fact, we held a public exhumation when when we actually located the bodies. Um, and uh, so it was, it was quite amazing to read his account in the book of and it's a great pity that he didn't approach me because I would have happily shared with him this account. Um, of course, we were not going to share it before recovering the bodies. Uh, I don't think any investigating structure in the world, including the British police, would uh, disclose the information prior to recovering the bodies. But once the bodies have been recovered, um, I, I've, I've shared this information with many a journalist. Yeah, so you're right. welcome to approach us for that. All yeah. right, Madeleine Fallon, thank you very much for speaking to us. Ever hear that version, Fred? Um, no, I've not heard that version before, but um, I'm surprised that Miss Fullard says that um, I could have approached her. My source said that the NPA wanted to sit on this story. They did not want to say anything. They wanted to kill the story. And that it was clear that the police from the docket that was found had known where the location of the bodies of Lolo Sono and Sibisiso Shabalala within a week of their being killed, and that the bodies had been removed um, very quickly and had been buried in Avalon Cemetery. The idea that the NPA would take something like quarter of a century to find the bodies when already the police knew they had been buried in Avalon Cemetery. It doesn't make sense. All right. Fred, let me just ask you about an important segment of this book, which is the Stompy Sepe story. Uh, there are so many different versions of this. How did you settle on the one you came to in this book? Well, how did I settle on, on it? Well, I mean, there are still many versions mm. of, of the discovery of Stompy Metzgetzi. How I discovered it was I went to Zambia in 1992 to, in, to report the Zambian, the first Zambian multi-party election since independence. And while there, um, I, uh, before I got there, I'd heard rumours that, that Katiza Chabakulu was in a prison in Zambia. And with the help of a British MP, I approached the new president of Zambia, um, Frederick Chaluba, and asked him if he could say whether or not Katiza Chabakulu was in a prison in Zambia. He said, no way. But then he said, I'll, I'll investigate. I'll get my top officials to investigate. Within a few hours, he came back and said, we've found your man. He's in a prison in Zambia. He's coming to see me within a few hours. I've summoned the chief of police or the chief of the army to be there. And Katiza Chebakula was brought in from prison where he'd been imprisoned without charge or trial. And he described to President Chaluba how he had seen Stompy McKetsy stabbed to death 
behind a jacuzzi at Winnie Mandela's home in Soweto. Right. That, was, that was the first clue, and there were many others that followed. All right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to have to start wrapping up the interview now, and I apologize. We, we simply did not have enough time in this hour to do a deeper exploration of the content of this book. But I do want to bring Nikki into, back into the conversation one last time. Nikki, many people would be listening to this, wondering whether... You, you've brought the book out now at, at an opportune time for South Africa, given the fact that Winnie Madagizela Mandela is considered the mother of the nation. She's loved by many people in the country. And, and they would sense perhaps a little bit of tone deafness in the decision to bring this book out now. Or perhaps they'd sense that there was an element of shock value here that you thought would sell books. Uh, but, but either way, many people will be wondering why South African publishers would not have been able to read the mood and would have decided to publish Fred's book right now. To read the mood? Did you say? Sorry, I'm yes, not yes. to hear you. Did you say to uh, Salah? That's um, right, Nikki. Again, I understand um, exactly what you're saying. In fact, we um, were ready to publish this a lot earlier. Um, mood or no mood, it was a story worth telling. Um there is this um, absolute um, respect and um, almost revering of Winnie Mandela at the moment, um, right down to people voting to call the Cape Town Airport after her, etc. Um, and we've actually felt it would be disingenuous to um, leave it any longer because then it would look even worse. Um, you know, this was a story that had to be told, that we felt had to be told. It would be hard whenever it hit the shelves in its telling, um, because it it um, tells a story that is unpopular. Um, and we um, there isn't a good or a bad time to release something like this. All right, fair um, enough, Nikki. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm going to have to cut you off there. But thank you for putting your sides forward as well. Nikki Stubbs, sales manager for NB Publishing.